Well, this morning we begin chapter 14 of the book of Acts. And the title of this morning's message is Laboring for the Sake of the Gospel in Iconium. And we'll be looking at Acts 14, verses 1 through 7. So I invite you there uh, to those verses, and let's look at them together as we read through them here <clears throat> together. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 14, it says, In Iconium they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a matter that a large number of people believed, both Jews and Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore, they spent long time there speaking boldly <clears throat> with reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of His grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, and some sided with the Jews, and some sided with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Laconia, Lystra, and Derbe, and the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Well, as we think about this missionary endeavor here by Paul and Barnabas expanding further into the Gentile regions, they're going into a place called Iconium, which actually that's in Galatia, the region of Galatia. So that gives you a, a kind of a general idea where they are. And so when we get to the book of Galatians, uh, this is one of the churches, one of the groups uh, where a church was founded where uh, Paul is writing back to there in the, in the book of Galatians. But it's, it's expounding or, or expanding into this region. And as we think about that from our context this morning, well, we are a group of folks that are certainly suffering fatigue, right? We have election fatigue. We have COVID-19 fatigue. Um, we are living in unprecedented times. We certainly are. And when we think about what could be on the doorstep for us in this culture, in this country, it is sobering to the Christian. And as we were talking about Samson in our morning Bible study and his folly with the things of this world, his folly with the ways of the world that dulled his mind that dulled his senses, that left him in a spiritual slumber, that allowed his enemies to approach him from all sides and to fail to see the reality of judgment. Now I'll say to you, with all the restraint and all the sobriety I can this morning, um, the Equality Act could well be judgment. So let me say this this morning. It's unprecedented times. It's, it's bleak times for the liberty of this country. And that saddens my heart. But for the Christian, this is a glorious time. Let me give you a bit of encouragement right up front. You're living in a time that is going to purge you of, the, of your desire for worldly things. God is going to purge you of that. He's going to purge us of that. That's going to have to melt away. God's going to sober us up. 
And on another encouraging note, what now? What do we set for the agenda now? Well, our agenda does not change. Amen. Nothing changes for us. Our circumstances may change. Our environment may change. But our agenda is fixed. We go forth and live our lives in obedience to the Almighty God and worship Him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. And we love and serve one another and we carry the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ come what may. Our agenda does not change one iota. Zero. And the same is true for Paul and Barnabas as they venture on in to Iconium. And so that brings us first to the reality that the gospel is delightful. The gospel is delightful. Amen. So it says there in the first three verses, in Iconium they entered the synagogue of the Jews together. And now I'll take a, uh, let me just pause here for a moment and just address together there. Certainly they, they go in together, they're traveling missionaries together. Um, I believe that's best intended as it comes to us translated together here in the English as in one accord, together in terms of methodology. So their mission methodology is the same, and we see that because they're entering the synagogue again. You with me? That's their procedure. So that's kind of their, their uh, missionary methodology, and that's what together is addressing, I believe. I could be wrong on that. I couldn't be definitive uh, in my search, but I believe that's what's going on here. Certainly, we would be understood that they're going together. So it's not the most uh, superficial meaning. But I believe it means in terms of methodology. They're going back and they're going through the same approach there in Iconium that they, that they uh, did prior. So they'll go to the synagogue, which is a platform for them to reach, uh, to have a Jewish and Gentile audience. And they will typically have a platform to speak. So I believe that's what's being addressed there. So they go together. And it says they spoke in a manner there in verse 1 that a large number of people believed, both Jews and Greeks, but the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore, they spent long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord who was testifying to the word of His grace, granting that signs and wonders would be done by their hands. And so for us, as we look at these first three verses, we think about the delight of the gospel The gospel is the means through which God saves undeserving sinners. If you are sitting here and you're a blood-bought follower of Jesus Christ, if you're listening online through Zoom and you're a blood-bought follower of Jesus Christ, you are so through a means. And that means is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel that God uses to bring about the sovereign salvation of His people throughout the nations. He does, throw, he does so in space and time through specific means. And that means is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. That reality that Christ, the Son of God, has, has ascended to earth. He's wrapped Himself in flesh. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life under the law of God, validating his, uh, 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 who He is, who is, validating His claim to be the Son of God who has taken on humanity that He might identify with us. And there in that life, that perfect life under the law where He has earned the right to represent us, He vicariously ascended the cross that there He might die a substitutionary 
sacrificial death on behalf of all who repent and believe on Him. There, His shed blood made atonement for our sin debt before a holy God. There, He imputed His righteousness earned under the law to us. He he placed it into our bank account that our souls might stand justified before a holy God. There, He bore our sin debt in His body. There, the Father poured out His righteous wrath His eternal righteous wrath upon His Son to bear our sin debt eternally and impute His righteousness into our account that we might stand gloriously declared justified before a holy God hidden in Christ Jesus. That gospel, that message, that eternal truth is the means through which God will save all His people will bring them to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that, uh, that reality to the gospel is an indescribable, but nothing less than delightful. It's delightful that God is glorified in the display of His salvation through the gospel. So here we see the continuing spread of that gospel. And it spreads further into the Gentile world. And so they go in together, they go into with the same approach that they had taken before because they, in a practical sense, they had success in, in this approach. So we find them back in the synagogue. And it says that um, they spoke, now get this, they spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both the Jews and Gentiles. Now they had good results, right? They spoke in such a manner, and many believed. Now, I want you to see here, the believing is directly connected in the text to their manner of speaking. What they spoke and, to some degree, how they spoke. That's connected here. The the text connects that for us, so it's important. So don't, don't rush ahead of me. Hold on here. Now, the power comes through the Holy Spirit, right? So don't misunderstand me. The human methodology cannot control the Spirit. The human methodology cannot limit the Spirit of God. We must have the Spirit of God breaking into sinners' lives to quicken their hearts from spiritual death to spiritual life. That must be the case. Least that take place, there can be no salvation of sinners. But does human methodology matter? Is there a means to the end? Well, yes, there is. And our text speaks to that here directly. They spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed. Now, God does use particular means to achieve His will. So they, they so spoke. What they said mattered. How they said it mattered. What they did here was communicate the gospel. So let me tell you something up front that you can just put out of your mind, just put it to rest, lay it it down and never pick it up again. The nonsense of, well, we'll just show the gospel in our actions and, uh, and they'll come to faith is a falsehood. No one's going to come to faith by seeing you. Now, can your manner of life affect them? Yes. But we must carry the gospel and we must speak it. We must communicate the gospel. We must go forth and carry it verbally. And we need to do it well. We need to do it in such a manner. 
We need to carry it precisely. We need to carry it uh, 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 with with, uh, precision and with uh, passion. Particularly precise. With the very depths of our hearts passionately engaged. They spoke. Don't pass that by. That's significant here. They spoke in such a manner. So clear proclamation of the gospel is a means, the means, through which God saves. Does it matter how we live? Yes, that's our obedience before God. Is that going to bring anyone to salvation? No, the proclamation of the gospel is the means through which God has ordained to bring people to salvation. Now, is the Spirit limited in how He works through us and how He begins to engage people with the gospel? No. Can someone really uh, go to, well, hardly anymore because there's no Bibles in hotels anymore, but uh, could someone at one time go to a hotel and open up a Bible on their own and the Spirit of God begin to speak to them and convict them with the gospel truth? Yes! Will you be accountable for how you carry the gospel? That's the question. Yes. And to self-deceive yourself into thinking, well, I'll just live it out. That's not what God called you to do. They spoke in such a manner. They proclaimed the gospel because they understood it was a means, the means through which God saves. It's not just demonstration, it's declaration. So God uses appropriate means to the end of saving sinners by His sovereign grace to His eternal glory. The preaching of the Word is the means of saving faith. Romans 10.14, a very uh, common, familiar verse for all of us. How then will they, <clears throat> how then are they to call on Him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in Him from whom they have not heard? How are they to hear without a preacher? And we've been talking about that for weeks. In every sense of the word, we're all preachers in terms of preachers of the gospel. Not all of us will hold the role of pastor, elder, but we're all, if we're here as genuine followers of Jesus Christ, we're all commissioned as preachers, proclaimers of the gospel. That's who we are. James 1.18 In the exercise of his, of his will, He gave us birth. How? By the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of firstfruits among His creatures. How? By the word of truth. The divine hand, look, the divine hand must turn on the spiritual light within the heart of lost men and women. But the gospel is the switch. It's the gospel. And you have been granted the privilege and the glorious joy and delight of carrying it and proclaiming it. So trust the gospel message. My, my, my. There's all kinds of methodologies. There's all kinds of stuff out there that could just, you could just be up. Just overwhelmed by it. It could swallow you up. Trust the gospel. Just proclaim the gospel. Be precise. Be clear. Be passionate. Be pointed. My goodness, look at the times you're in. Don't dilly-dally. Get to the point. Isn't living... Anybody familiar with living waters? Ministry? I tell you what. 
they get to the point. There's a lot to be gleaned there. You could just—that's one that just comes, comes to mind right there. Get to the point. So the manner in which we communicate the gospel does matter. That's what I want you to see. It does. Don't ever let anyone tell you it does not. Does that override the power and authority of the of the Holy Spirit? No. But it has everything to do with your accountability as God's child and your responsibility to handle the gospel. Preach the gospel plainly. Preach it purposefully. Be passionate. Be exact. The gospel is delightful. And because it's delightful, let me encourage you to pray that God will enable you to proclaim it effectively. There is such thing as effective proclamation of the gospel. You know what that is? You know how you, you, know how you assess that? How, well, well I mean, Brother John, how do, how do I assess if I'm effectively proclaiming the gospel? Let me tell you exactly how you can do that so you can assess yourself well. You proclaim it. Clearly. You don't make it something else. You don't beat around the bush. You don't, uh, you don't try to justify anything. You proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are sinners. God is holy. His law stands. He has sent His Savior to pay the penalty, the sin debt for wretched sinners like us. And all who repent and believe in Christ will be saved. All who do not will be righteously condemned. You proclaim it. Speak the gospel truth. Look, we're accountable for what we do with the gospel. And the gospel is the means of God unto salvation. Now look over here there in verse 2. It says, But the Jews <coughs> who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Now, the gospel is being spread effectively here by, by Paul and Barnabas. The Spirit of God is moving in people, and people are coming to faith in Christ Jesus. But not all. So here we have some of the Jews there in the, in the synagogue that they're not believing. Some did, some didn't. So those that are not believing... Now, what, what happens here is they, it says they, uh, um, they embittered the Gentiles towards Paul and Barnabas. Literally, they poisoned their mind with slander. That's what's taking place. You ever been there, Christian? And you're a public witness in your workplace, in your neighborhood, whatever the case may be? You ever been there? They're slandering them. And they're poisoning the minds of these Gentile authorities. They're poisoning them against these faithful missionaries. Psalm 34, 13. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. They're speaking deceit against these men, against Paul and Barnabas. They are sinning against God. They're sinning against God's ministers. And they're sinning against the Gentiles because they're poisoning their minds. And when you're slandered, Understand, understand this. It's exactly what the slanderers of your name are doing. They're slandering the name of your God. They're slandering your name. And they're harming those to whom they're slandering you before. With me? You understand? You pray accordingly. That's exactly what's happening. That's always what's happening. And in verse 3, Therefore, they spent a long time, they, that's, that's Paul and Barnabas, therefore they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord 
who was testifying to the word of His grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. The gospel is delightful. There's a multiplicity of reasons. There's unnamed, unthinkable reasons that the gospel is delightful. We could never begin to make a list. But if we were to attempt on that list, it's it's delightful because God Almighty defends it. He defends His gospel. So what did Paul and Barnabas do in the light of being slandered? Their names being drugged through the mud. They're being accused of being false prophets and all kinds of heretical teachers. They're poisoning the minds of the leaders there, the Gentile leaders in the region. Well, what do they do? Well, it says they spent a long time there. And they didn't just hunker down and shut up. They spent a long time there speaking boldly, right? So they just spoke boldly. They persistently proclaimed the gospel. And how they do so, this is the key. The same when we took when we look in this morning at, at Samson's life. And the, and the shock there and, the, and you know the, the heartbreak of Samson not even seeing that the Lord had departed from him. Well, our two missionary brothers here are keenly aware of their strength. And it says they were speak, they spent long time there and they were speaking boldly, boldly proclaiming the gospel. Right? Not just, uh, not just hinting at it, not just thinking about how they might come up with a methodology of how, how they might reach into this culture. They're there standing, heels dug in, boldly proclaiming the gospel in the face of slander. But how are they doing this? They're doing this in verse 3 with reliance upon the Lord. That's how. How are you going to do it? In the feebleness of your own strength? And all your wisdom that you've gleaned in your own strength and capacity, how are you going to stand when you're slandered? It must be like these two men in the reliance upon the Lord. Or guess what? You won't stand. Nor will I. We'll fold up like wet noodles at the sign of the least bit of trouble. I know my heart and you know yours. But in reliance upon the Lord... These men, and, 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 and we will in like, stand boldly and proclaim the gospel. They did so in reliance upon the Lord. And so with the reliance of the Spirit, these missionaries were not silenced by slander. The slander didn't silence them. Rather, it just made them bold or even uh, more so. And they consistently proclaimed here in public. Now, in other words, they didn't go underground. They're still right out there. They're still right out in the synagogue. They're right out in the middle square. They're still there in the face of all this resistance. They're still right out in the open, boldly digging their heels in all the more and boldly proclaiming the truth. Remember, the source of boldness, the source of their boldness, the source of our boldness will be reliance upon the, reliance upon the Spirit. So now, Let's think about this for a moment. You may have already been slandered numerous times. You will be slandered. If you have not to this point, count yourself in the minority, but you will be. If you boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will be. And you're commanded to do so. So you will be. You're going 
to be slandered. Just deal with that. God has called you to serve Him no matter what people say. You got that? You're called to serve your God whatever, no matter what. Whatever they say, that doesn't change your mandate. That doesn't change God's command on your life. Just settle that in your soul. That has to just run off you like water off a duck's back. Nothing changes for you. Your agenda doesn't change no matter how you're slandered. Nothing changes for you. And here's the great joy. The Spirit of God will enable you in your needs. Amen? Nothing changes for you. And the Spirit of God will enable you. When you have needs, when you are slandered, when they drag you through the mud, God will come to your aid. The Spirit of God will come to your aid. You have a duty. That's what it is. I want you to say, that's nasty talk in our language, right? That's nasty talk in our culture. Duty is a bad word. But there's nothing else here. There's no other way that I, as your brother, can convey this to you. This is a duty to your God. Oh, that's too restrictive. That's too confining. That's too limiting. That's scriptural. This is a duty. You have a duty before your God. See to it. See to your duty. The Spirit will strengthen you. The Spirit of God will come to your aid in your time of need. So that's how they responded. (laughs) They just dug in and the preaching just got... uh, uh, If it was bold, it just got a little bolder, clearer, sharper, more precise. And they stay there a long time. We're in it for the long haul, right? But how did God respond? Well, this gets even better. They dug their heels in, but then look what God does. It says they were in reliance upon the Lord, and there's the key for us. But what was he doing? God was there in verse 3. He was testifying to the word of his grace. That's the gospel, okay? So he's testifying to it. He's defending his gospel. It's called here the word of his grace. That's God's grace extended to sinners that he might magnify his name in the most glorious, most poignant, uh, uh, apex manner through this gospel of grace. So his grace is now on display to the highest peak according to his standard and he is there to defend it so he testifies to the word of his grace and how does he do this well here he he does it by granting signs and wonders be done at their hands so these part of these jewish leaders are, are slandering their name and saying this is false, this is not true, this is not re- the reality about God, this is, not, this is not the true God. Don't you hear that? Well, the God you speak of is not the God that I know. He's not, that's not a loving God that would judge and condemn me. But here, the one true God comes to their aid and He backs up their preaching with signs and wonders and miracles. So there's healing taking place here. There's prophecy being fulfilled here. He's validating their message. He's validating their proclamation of the gospel with supernatural signs and wonders. 
So he's coming to their aid. He's backing them up in a very, a very real way. So every time uh, the, the, the contingency opposes them with slander, then they continue to proclaim and miracles are taking place. Backing up everything that they say. So he vindicates them and know this, the same is true today. God will vindicate His people. God will vindicate you as you carry His gospel and you are slandered for it. So the preaching of the gospel was vindicated here. And if you're slandered, you'll be vindicated. Now, will it be miracles? Maybe not. Remember we're in the apostolic age here, right? So the gospel is now taking place and it's spreading to the Gentile world and the can is not sealed. And God here is vindicating this early church with miraculous works, signs and miracles. Well, that might not be your case. But what are you to do? Well, you keep serving God and you wait for your vindication. Let me say this. I don't know how that will come to you. I don't know how God will vindicate you when you're slandered for carrying the gospel. But if it comes, and this time, this side of glory, it will come sweetly. And it will come powerfully. And you will be keenly aware of your vindication. If it never comes, till God calls you home, then know this, you'll be vindicated in the most glorious and poignant way that you could ever fathom when God says to you, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen? That's vindication. That's your vindication. You're going to be vindicated. God will not abandon you and His appointed call on your life. He will vindicate you. He will. Isaiah 54, 17, No weapon that is formed against you will succeed, and you will... You will condemn every tongue that accuses you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servant of the Lord. And their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. You will be vindicated. Come what may. So what people say about Christians will not be lost on God. Now, what they say about you will be lost in time. It won't amount to a hill of beans. But what God says about you will manifest itself in eternal glory for His namesake wrapped upon your conversion and carried through the eons of eternity. It will manifest itself to His glory. What God says about you will last. So, kind of settle into this. Look, we're going to be marginalized. We're going to be slandered. The council, the, the council culture of today is just, going to, is just going to attempt to shut you up. Just shout you down. To um, give a litany of de- derogatory slogans. To, to call you names. There's no dialogue. There's no desire for dialogue. There's slander. There's ridicule. But these are the enemies of God. And God will deal with your enemies accordingly. Your command, your commission 
is to go forth and proclaim the gospel well, effectively, precisely, persistently. So cast your burdens on the Lord and He'll vindicate you for His namesake. Well, the gospel is definitely delightful. But as we get a hint of here, it's also very divisive. The gospel is divisive. Look there in verse 4. But the people of the city were divided. And some sided with the Jews, that those, the Jews that were opposing the apostles. And some sided with the apostles. So there's your division. It's always this way. The old saying, the old adage is true. There's, there's only two kinds of people in the world. You've heard that, right? And those who are in Christ and those who are outside of Christ. Well, that's a very true saying. That's the reality. But it's a serious, hard, deep, settled divide. There's no mushy middle here. There's no, there's no, no wishy-washy time to play politics here. This is a clear, definitive divide. This is a chasm. In humanity. There's no gray areas here. It is a divide. Know that. It is sharp and it is settled. You're living in one side or the other in, in, uh, or the other in regards to this divide. So the gospel, you see, is a sword. It divides. You must understand this. Now look here. How did God vindicate them here? Yes, He's going to vindicate us and it's far more glorious. Ultimately, it's far more glorious. We're going to be vindicated in in, in glory, in heaven, if nowhere else. But He vindicates them here in space and time and it's a pretty powerful thing, right? Because don't don't we we incline to do that? Sometimes we just look back and, and we look here in Scripture and say, man, if the miracles would just transpire when I was carrying the gospel, well, that would push Him over the edge right there. Man, if I could just have a little bit of that, if it could just be healing, if it could be real, genuine healing, well, that would bring them in by the droves. Verse 4, But the people of the city were divided. Not even real, genuine, miracle works of God brought some of these people to faith. Can you see that? It's not true. God has to quicken them from death to life according to His mighty power. No amount of display, no amount of evidence, no amount of your displaying it in your life is going to bring them to faith. That's why you carry the gospel. You speak it. You declare it before people and trust God to bring them from spiritual death to spiritual life. And it's not going to be the show. That's not not to say anything to marginalize this great vindication here of the miracle work. But we sometimes hold on to those notions, don't we? Oh, if if now we could just have something like that, they would come. No, they won't. No, they won't. They were divided. It's not the miracles that's going to bring them. It's the gospel. The gospel. So you carry it. Not even the miracles would bring about conversion of these enemies of the gospel. So declare it. Declare the truth. You don't have to conjure up an environment. You don't have to conjure up uh, an atmosphere. You declare the truth. Trust God. 
And note here, just, just let me take a, a moment to note this because they are called apostles here, okay? You see that? <clears throat> the people were divided, some with uh, the opposing Jewish uh, faction there that was leading many people away, and some with the apostles here. Um, so the term here, that, that gets misused so much now, and, and we still have some of our, uh, the charismatic contingency in, in evangelical community pointing to Scripture like here, verses like this, and it says the apostles. And they say, well, they're still living apostles today. And so they, they have the, the office and the authority of the of apostle of Christ. Well, that's not the case here. Paul was an apostle of Christ. He's marked off other places in Scripture as an apostle of Christ. Barnabas was not. But Barnabas is listed here as an apostle. They both were apostles of the church. They're missionaries. That's what the term is used for here. So when it says there are apostles, we have to understand the context and the use of the term. So it's not misused in our culture, and then this label of uh, extended apostles of Christ added to this. In all the, the, the falsehood of the power and the, of the office of Christ now being given to people here in modern time. Wrongly. They're apostles, but they're apostles of the church. Are they apostles of the church today? Yes, there are. They're called missionaries, pioneering missionaries, those who go out on the front lines and will establish churches in unreached areas. I have a dear friend of mine uh, that's going out from a church here in this, uh, in this community. Uh, they'll be going uh, to a place, a uh, country in Africa, where there's, there's uh, little gospel witness. And they're going out as apostles. They'll be going out as missionaries, frontline missionaries into a new field. That's what you see here, okay, as these two men called apostles here. Paul is marked off uniquely as apostle of Christ, that's true, but that's not the case for Barnabas. He's called an apostle here, and they're called apostles together in this context as missionaries, okay? So they're apostles of the church. Now, the authority by which they're sent is what? What's the direct authority for them by which they're sent? Be careful here. Their direct authority is the church. Now, the church needs to be in right uh, uh, standing and setting and foundation before holy God, but the church is sending them out. The apostles of Christ, there's a direct link, right? So that's not the direct link here. They're coming from the church. They're apostles of the church there at Antioch in, uh, in uh, Cyprus. Or, excuse me, in Syria, at Antioch, Syria. So they're missionaries. They're delegates of the church there at Antioch, Syria. And that's why they're called apostles. That's the meaning of that term in this context. So no apostles of Christ today. That era has passed. The canon is sealed, but there are apostles of the church today. They are our missionaries. Okay, so just let me take a moment to tackle that. <clears throat> now, God uses these bold uh, uh, missionaries to testify uh, the gospel, and it's the gospel here, testified to these folks through the missionaries, that marks out and confirms His chosen people there in Iconium. Do you see that? It's not the miracle work. What marks them off, there's a line divided here. And what marks them off is those who have responded to the gospel in repentance and belief on Christ and Christ alone for saving grace and those who have rejected it. So the gospel message proclaimed by our two apostles here, our two missionaries, that's the means through which God has marked off His chosen people in Iconium. And that's the means through which God will mark off His chosen people everywhere. This is the means through which God will mark off His chosen people in Wilkesboro, North Carolina. And every other inch of the planet, this is the means through which God saves. This is the means through which there is saving faith 
It's the gospel. And these two men are rightly carrying it. So they're marked off here. The gospel marks them off. And there is a clear dividing line. The line is not blurred. It is clear. If there's an attempt to ever blur this line in your life or in your circumstance or, or in your surroundings, it's a falsehood. The line is clear. It's a failure on our part or a falsehood. The line is clear. It's a sword. The gospel is a sword. Listen to what Christ said. The words of Christ, Matthew 10, 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Luke 12, 53. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. That's a deep, very intimate divide. The gospel will bring peace on earth, right? Amen? Peace on earth. Goodwill to men who repent and believe on Christ. But the sword comes. The sword divides. Not all men have right standing with God. The gospel does bring peace, but only to those who repent and believe on Christ. To all others, it is a dividing sword. It's a sword. Why? It's a sword because of the wicked hearts of men. It's a sword because of our fallen nature. It's a sword because of original sin. What is that sin, nat- we're, uh, that sin nature we inherit from Adam called, children? What's it called? Original sin. Because of our wickedness, the gospel is a sword. Well, how do we think about that? There are many of you here. Let me just start with this. There are many of you here, and thank God, there are many of you here who have saved children. God's saved your household. That's not true for all of us. If that's you, here's the question. Do you thank Him every day? Don't sit on that kind of grace. Do you thank Him? He doesn't have to. He doesn't owe us anything. That's grace. And also, I want you to understand this biblical truth. There is such a thing as false converts. The Scripture is ripe with the declaration of false converts. We see it everywhere. I know we don't like to see it, but the reality of Scripture is that we see it everywhere. It's not diminished. It's full of false converts. That's the reality of Scripture. So know this. Parents, when we're thinking about our children coming to Christ and we're praying every day that God will bring them to saving faith, yes, yes, and amen forevermore that He'll bring our lost family members to saving faith. Many of us have extended family, brothers, sisters, daughters, uh, um, husbands, wives, children, immediate family, extended family, that are outside the faith. And we're praying every day until God takes us home that He'll save them. And that's right and good and just. And we're trusting that He will because God is a God who saves. 
We can have great hope. But that is balanced with the reality that the gospel is a sword. So here, parents, is how we pray and think about this rightly. Those who endure to the end will be saved. That's how you instruct your children. Those who endure to the end will be saved. So continue. If they made professions of faith, uh, parents continue to instruct them. Continue to correct them. Continue to bring them along in the heart of the gospel. And to call them to obedience in the faith and a continued lifestyle of walking in obedience because those who endure to the end will be saved. That's it. How many times in my ministry, which is... Um, approaching a lot of years now, have I seen the reality of a jaded mom or dad or both? I can recall one time in particular I was serving an associate pastor down in Florida and we had a dad who was very active in our church, um, very active in a a college ministry that we had, uh, a Sunday school teacher, And he had a teenage daughter who was living a debauched life. Actively, purposefully, continually, uh, uh, actively involved in in sexual sin. It's a lifestyle. And when the the pastor would would come and try to work with his family on church discipline, the dad would resist and would fight it. And and the, the... the young lady was texting this pastor all the time and cursing him and cursing him and blaspheming his name on text over and over and over. Vile, vicious behavior. And this dad would not relent. He would not budge. You know where he always went back to me? She had that moment. She had that time when she professed faith. She had that day. She had that moment. There's nothing, and there's, there was no conversation about the possibility of her being a false convert because it can't be. Why? Because it was that moment. She prayed a prayer. And he left. He left the church because he would not see his daughter go under, go, go under church discipline while she lived continually in this vile lifestyle. And they went back to that. Look. Do yourself a favor, parents. The profession of faith is wonderful, it's good, and it's glorious, and we thank God for it. You hold your children to the reality of those who endure to the end will be saved. You minister to them with that in mind. How many times have we seen this? Don't overemphasize the initial response, parents. Don't do that to your children. Don't dishonor God that way. And don't underemphasize perseverance. You stick with perseverance. How many times? Oh, we put them under. We put them in the baptismal. And then it's the marker. It doesn't matter what the like looks like after that. Perseverance. Perseverance. Don't assume the sword will never touch your life. Don't do that. Now this is sobering for me. You think I like saying it? This is what Scripture gives us. We can't assume that the sword will not touch our lives. Some of your loved ones may walk away from the gospel. Some of you may be in the experience of that right now. You've got loved ones that just, they've walked away. 
Well, what do you do? Well, you continue to share the gospel. You beg God to save them. Don't compromise. Don't water it down. Don't water it down. Don't try to make it palatable to them. That's the worst thing you could do. That dishonors your God and it harms them. Give them the gospel, the clear, true gospel. Don't minimize it. Don't blame God. Don't blame God. And don't get embittered towards God. Don't harm your relationship with God. Don't minimize His worth and His majesty. I tell you, if anything, if anything hinders church discipline within a church, it's a jaded mom and dad towards their younger, uh, a younger child or teenage child that's made a profession. And they're living a lifestyle of sin. Don't do it to the church. Don't harm the church. Children, you've been given much light. Much light. And that's the graciousness of God. But you're going to come down on one side or the other. Young folks, one side or the other. You're not going to be able to sit under your, your mom and daddy's uh, uh, teaching, your mom and daddy's household forever. You're going to grow up and you're going to be out on your own. And Christ is either going to be forming in you or you're going to run away to the world because you have no foundation. Don't think you'll just sit here and be okay. Young folks, you won't. Don't think, oh, well, I grew up with it. I know it. I'm good. You'll meet the world and you don't have no genuine strength within you from the Holy Spirit, and you'll run off to the world. It'll happen. Don't think sitting here fixes it. This is much light, but you will make decisions. You'll be on one one side of the divide or the other. Just know that, young folks. So repent and believe on Christ today. Today is the day of salvation. Repent and believe. Don't waste time and sit on this because you're in a good environment. It's not going to fix your relationship with God. Repent and believe on Christ. That is our great hope. And lastly, I want you to see the gospel is dangerous. This is a dangerous proposition. Look there in verses 5 through 7. And when when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the city of Lyconia, the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derbe, and the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now, as we talked about this morning, I want you to see the pattern because right here is a perfect example of the, escalate, of, of the escalation of sin. And we talked about that this morning in morning Bible study. Sin never, sin's never, it's never still. It progresses. Now look here. They started slandering them, right? And then it says they were going to mistreat them. I don't know exactly what all that might entail. But then it says they're going to try to murder them. They're going to stone them. So they started with slander, and in one little short text in a couple of verses, we're from slander to stoning. That's a perfect picture of the progression of sin. That's how sin works. It worked in their life. It's how it works in our life. This is just the way sin works. You see the progression there? They come from slander to stoning them. They're going to kill them. They're looking to murder them. Slander to division to murder. Now, again, Christ will conform or continue to, to form in us or we'll give way to sin. 
For us, when we think about this, just look at that progression. When we think about this in our lives, that's how it's going to be. Christ is going to continue to form in us or we'll give way to sin. And sin will progress in us. And see, the God of the world, there's just no compromise here. We've just we've played around with this too much in our culture. And I think sometimes with all the good intentions to try to make this palatable for people, try to make us approachable, and try to somehow fit in and be and, and have a little a little space in the culture, carve out a little room for ourselves so we can you know get to know folks and and and, and slowly bring them in. It's God of the world. It's a divide. Now look here, because they were aware of this, because they were aware of the assassination attempt. They fled. And again, sometimes we, 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 try to make this, we, we try to make this so cushy sometimes, and then we'll, we'll make these absurd uh, 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 comments and notions on the other end of it. If people come after us, they're like, well, you have to, you have to you have, that's a hill to die on right there. Now, there's hill to die on theologically. But if they're after you and you know about it in advance, well, look, here's a text for you. You can go. You can leave. There's times that you can leave. Can, can that be okay? Because I hear... Uh, sure, well-meaning brothers all the time saying, you know, you stand and fight to the bitter end. Well, there may be times for that. There may be times you can't leave. That may be the case. There may be times that you should not leave. So there, there's, there, there's, a, there's some sub- subjectivity there in terms of the circumstance and, and how God's leading you in your life. But also note, in the mix, in the picture, scripturally speaking here, there are times you can leave. If, they, if you know they're going to kill you, you can get out. And it's not going to be this horrible, heinous sin before your God. You can leave. It's possible. It's okay. So that's exactly what they did. So this is a righteousness of leaving, if you will. That's how I've termed it. So there's a righteousness here. Matthew 10, 23. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, this is Christ speaking, truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Well, there's an example right there from Christ. Go to the next city. Sometimes it's just necessary to leave. Now, do I know all the details here of that, uh, of that reality? No, we have to really, uh, before God, work those out. But sometimes it's right and just and necessary to leave. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes you can't. But look at what happened in verse 7. And there, where they, the, the, the cities of the surrounding region there that they went to, and there in those places, they continued to preach the gospel. Well, look what happened on the back end of this. They, they, they recognized the threat. They heard about it. They made provisions to leave. And then what do they do? They go somewhere else and what happens? They live to spread the gospel another day. How about that? Now, what they didn't do is run away and hide. What they didn't do is leave and fold it up and say, whew, this is a little too dangerous. They might have said, this is a little too dangerous because they're going to kill us, let's leave. But then it's not, let's leave and stop proclaiming the gospel and go into hiding and get into the bunker and preserve our lives because we've got so much stuff. I'm telling you, you're, you're the place now, finally. Counted as good, counted as the goodness of God. We're going to be purged of our love for things in this world. It's just gonna, that's just the way it is. That's good. It may hurt, but it's good. They go to another place and they continue preaching the gospel. That's what makes it okay. That's what justifies it. That's what justifies their reasoning to leave. 
because they're going somewhere else and they're going to preach the gospel somewhere else. So they lived to preach another day. They fled for the sake of the gospel. The gospel came. It's a sword. It divided. They were, they were ran out of, they ran, they had, somebody ran them out of town. There was a contingency that ran them out of town. They go somewhere else and they proclaim the gospel. For the sake of the gospel, they move on. There, it'll be the same sword. Some will be saved. Some will reject. It'll be a dividing reality. But there, for the sake of the gospel, they move on and they carry the truth. So what do we do? Well, be wise. Be wise. Be determined to serve God through preaching of the gospel of grace. Be wise in your circumstances. And know this once again, nothing changes for us. Our mandate remains exactly the same. Isn't that good? Isn't that simple? Man, things are whirling around you in in terms of context, in terms of your environment, in terms of your cultural setting. I mean, it's like a whirlwind. Isn't it good to settle into that resounding truth? Nothing changes for you. Your mandate remains the same. Keep serving the Lord through His enabling grace. Keep preaching the gospel according to the power of the indwelling Spirit. Rely on the Spirit of God and keep preaching the gospel. Love one another. Serve one another. Worship your God with all that you have and all that you are and carry this glorious gospel to the nations. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this truth. We ask this morning that you would um, take your truth and bring it home to us uh, and that you would give us strength to trust you and obey you and live for your glory. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.